Welcome to Under the Ring Pro Wrestling Conversations. My name is Phil Strum, so happy you join me today. This is a pretty cool one for me. My guest is a veteran of the wrestling wars. It's the cerebral legend himself, Raven. Raven is now leading a group in MLW, Major League Wrestling, on reels called The Calling with himself, Ricky Shane Page, and Akira. Of course, he's been everywhere and done everything. He's probably best remembered for his run in ECW, where he established the Raven character, but he was in WWE, WCW, and ECW twice each, along with a very notable run in TNA Impact. I'm excited to pick the brain of Raven. So here we go right now with Raven. So honored to have with me today one of the top minds in the wrestling business, one of pro wrestling's most seasoned cerebral agents of chaos. It's the one and only Raven. Raven, welcome to Under the Ring Pro Wrestling Conversations. Thank you so much for being with me today. Under the Ring? Is that where uh, is that you hang out with uh, Kurt Hennig when he was uh, when he hit Under the Ring and drank a case of beer? Him or Hornswoggle or so. There's lots of stuff under the ring. Is this this tables and chairs sometimes? Yeah, there's probably, probably, there's, probably, there's probably an office down there. Yeah, I think I'm probably in it because it kind of looks like it with the black blinds behind me and everything right. else. And I, I actually I did mention to somebody that I did drive from one ECW hotbed of Poughkeepsie, New York, to another one of Middletown, New York, today to get here. So, oh, so nice. Uh, so uh, let, let's start with what you're doing right now. You're you're back with MLW again uh, with the calling with uh, Ricky Shane Page and Akira. What do you think of MLW? What do you think of what they're doing right now? And what's what's been your involvement so far? I like it. Um, I like it a lot. The uh, they have uh, an ECW kind of vibe, which I always appreciate. You know, um, they um, yeah they don't try to be ECW, which is what I hate when someone tries to you know do it be ECW that wasn't. But uh, but they do their own their own version of it, which is uh, which I, I think is really cool. I, I think the talent's really talented. Um, there's nothing worse than untalented talent. <laughs> and it I really know, is I, the worst. I know Court Bauer, who's run MLW, is always you know he or uncreative cre- or uncreative creative. That that's also a problem. Untalented talent and uncreative creative are the scour- scourge of this business. Exactly. Uh, I know I know Court uh, grew up watching ECW, and it's a lot right. of inspiration of what he you know what he kind of likes to do too. So mm-hmm. I'm sure that's good. I know he's mentioned that before. Uh, as part of this, you'll be back in the former uh, ECW arena, the twenty three hundred. Any uh, what, what does it mean to be back there for you when uh, when you go back there? Um, the um, yeah, no, I, I love going back there. I've been back there a million times. Um, and I like the fact that that's kind of their home base, you know. Plus, I love Philadelphia. I was born in Philadelphia. I lived there till I was like ten or twelve, or I guess like ten. And um, I went to college in Delaware, so that's forty-five minutes from Philly, in the University of Delaware. Um, and I always love going back to Philly. So you know, I got a lot of friends there. And. What what part of being a pro wrestler interested you when you chose to do this as a profession? And did that change over the course of your 35 years that you've been involved now? No, I've always loved it for the uh, soap opera. You know, it's a soap opera, but instead of taking place at a general hospital, it's taking place in a wrestling ring. Um, that's why I never went to Japan for any, you know, I went like six times for six different companies. But I never tried to get, you know, stay there or get a regular job there because it's not my style. You know, I want to I want to have a story where every week you have to tune in to see what the next evolution of the story is. 
Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, guys, like, I got to interrupt you for one second. It's really irritating when they cut to me on a one shot and then they cut back to the two shot and then they go to the one shot. It's really weird looking, staring at my big mug on the whole screen. <laughs> well, that's going to happen. Uh, when we're conversing, I think it's going to go to the two. And when we're not, it's going to go to the one. So, uh, uh, yeah, so I'll never be by myself. But I'm by myself when I enter the room anyway. So I have to look at myself, unfortunately. So, But uh, I think you're probably one of the best people to analyze what works and what doesn't work creatively in wrestling. Not only are you one of the last territory wrestlers i was looking up you worked puerto rico portland continent never were, i never worked puerto rico i only had a couple matches there a couple okay. of squash matches i saw you for the first time in global uh right you were, uh, scott anthony um you were in all the major companies twice as far as i could tell once as raven each place um it just what 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 are some of the things that you see in wrestling that people hit i don't watch of- it anymore I really don't watch it. You know, I'll skim through MLW because I'm working yeah. for him. But I, I, don't, I haven't watched it in like 20 years. I mean, like w- when the WWE did the alliance angle and used no one, it just, it just, man, it just showed me, it reminded me what a cruel mistress this business is. And I uh, lost interest pretty quickly in, not in performing, but in, in, in viewing it. And uh, so I, I don't watch it. I'm, Plus, I get, there's so much other stuff on TV to watch. Like, I got tons of shows on. Like, I got a list of pages of shows that I want to watch that I'm never going to get to, you know. To that point, though, what are what are some of the angles that you've seen, you know, in the course of your time as a fan and as a wrestler that really hit? Because I feel like you're somebody who would really be good at judging a hit or a miss creatively just because you've seen so much and you've done so much. Well, my favorite miss – was an angle they shot in uh in ICW, not the not the main one, not the one in Maine, but the one in uh Savaldi's one. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was Lanny Poffo and Rip Rogers. And uh and they had a t-shirt that says I'm a brat on it. And the loser of the match had to wear a shirt that said I'm a brat, had to wear the shirt. And Lanny Poffo's arguing, he's like, Rip Rogers like, You're a brat. And he's like, I am not the brat, you are the brat. <laughs> It was, so, it was hilarious. But, but I mean, like the, the, in the 70s, I mean, you can only use so much language, you know what I mean? So, right. uh, you know, but still, just, you know, I mean, I'm sure it wasn't as ridiculous as it is now, you know, to me watching. Well, not, I mean, I saw it 20 years ago and it was ridiculous, but you know, even then it was 20 years old. To me, some of like the overly complicated stuff just kind of, you know, I, I remember back and I, I don't even remember if you were in TNA during this time period, but I remember there was a match where there were like four chests in each corner and a rugby ball with a message attached to it or something like that. I think it was Pat Kenny uh, was doing it. They called it like the Irish death match or something like that. And the whole purpose of the match was opening the chest that had the green rugby ball in it. And it was just like, I don't understand. Like when you have to list rules on the screen that are like 15 minutes to read, probably not the best. Uh, for Yeah. Me. But I like storylines that are complicated though. You know, I think the audience lines is that are lot, complicated are different. Yeah. yeah. I think the audience is a lot smarter than we give them credit for, but they're also a lot stupider than we give them credit for. They're both, you know, I think the smarter the fan is, the stupider they are um, because they, they think they know the business and, and they don't, they don't understand about drawing money, but they know, you know, it's like, why is it in wrestling? Is it that, that the critics, okay, in, in the movie in the movie world, if you have a movie with all high spots, wall car crashes and stuff, it's buried by the critics. But in wrestling, if it's all car crash spots, it's <laughs> hooray by the critics, but yet 
Then you have a match where where it's all dramatically built up and the story's been told and people are selling and selling their asses off. And that gets uh, and that gets two stars because, you know, they didn't do enough stuff. They didn't do enough dives. You know, that's a really great point and not Thank a you. way that I've ever heard that stated before. That's uh, I agree with that, though, too, because I, I tend to like a little bit more of the nuance when I can find it, you know, in, 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 either in an angle or in a match, you know, depending on, you know, a guy like Randy Orton for me. I don't know how much you've seen of his stuff the last, you know, 10, 15 years. I haven't but watched in 20 years. He's one of those really, you know small detail kind of guys in his facial expressions and his movements and in his and his and the moves he chooses in a match. So for me, he's always somebody like, all right, I want to make sure I watch him. But right. like other people are like, oh no, it's so boring when he puts that headlock on. I was like, well, that's your problem. That's not my problem. So um what would it, when were you most creatively satisfied in wrestling and did it match when you also felt the best in the ring? Yeah, Portland and ECW. Portland wrestling. I spent two years there in my formative years. And uh, yeah, it was amazing. Um, Cause I, I used to ride every day with the booker, the grappler who's a, who, who headlined for Watts in the, in the Superdome when he was like 19. So that shows you what a talent he was. And he wasn't a big guy and Watts loves big guys. You know, he was, he was probably 240, but he's five, nine, five, 10. So, you know, nowhere near what a Watts guy. And he had a mask. You know, so imagine trying to convey, you know, because trying to convey body language with that with a mask is, you know, without your facials, it's it's twice the job. So I uh, learning from him, I got to pick his brain riding with him every day. And, uh, you know, he wouldn't go out to teach me, but he would let me ask him the questions and teach myself, you know. With his knowledge and uh, that and uh, and he get let me do a lot of stuff I wanted to do. Um, and then ECW, you know. What, what about the ECW? I mean, it's it's almost feels well, ridiculous. I mean, to ask Paul, why, but, Paul, yeah. You know, have a hand in what I what I did. You know, he'd let me. You know, when you're working on top, they usually let you have a hand in what your storylines are. You know, and uh, so I got to I got to create stuff. You know, and uh, and uh, just got to use my creative juices. You know what I mean? And 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 the show was so brilliantly done. It was you know. Still, the best TV show ever made, you know. Yeah, I, I remember. Just wrestling, unfortunately, wrestling should be a ninety-minute show. Wrestling, an hour is not enough, but two hours is too much. But you know, nobody does TV in ninety-minute blocks. But yeah, you know, and, and and you could do it, but then people just aren't conditioned for it. But two hours is a bit much, especially weekly, and an hour just isn't quite enough to get everything in you need to get in. That's why Paul did stuff like the Pulp Fiction montage, you know, which I don't know why nobody's ever done since, you know, or made their own version of it because the montage allows you to get 15, 20 interviews, you know, 15, 20 people over in, in five minutes. Yeah. The only thing I could think of close to that for the 90 minute part, Saturday night's main event was 90 minutes, but it was also yeah. booked in reverse kind of because the main event would always have to go on first because that was when everybody was tuned in at 1130. Um, right. But the, they also did that little montage thing at the beginning of their shows too. If I remember it was not, not obviously as, you know, as gritty or as kind of updated as maybe the Pulp Fiction stuff was in ECW. But uh, what, what, what would a, uh, I'm going to go back to ECW for a second, if I can. Um, why do you think you and Paul Heyman worked so well together creatively? 
because we're both very creative. We're both very, we're both very cognizant of pop culture. That's one of the biggest things. Like, I think I would have been a great booker back then. Now I'm not as good as I would have been because even though my wrestling knowledge is more, my pop culture knowledge, I don't, I haven't been able, you know, I'm 58 years old. I don't stay current, you know, anymore. And you have to stay current. And that, that was the problem. That's always been a problem with the wrestling business is bookers aren't current. They don't have any, they don't have any youth in the booking arena with them They're booking not arena, but you know, the booking committee, so to speak, um, who know what pop culture is, you know, and what's trendy and what isn't. Yeah, I feel like you need the young voices. I feel like I was talking to somebody yesterday about this, too. You, you might also probably, especially with as many women's wrestling angles that are going on right now, you probably need a female voice on the creative, too. So you're not booking a whole bunch of women's angles through, the you know, the, the brain of a man, too. That might not be. Right. Yeah, I don't know. The, um, you know, you got you to know what's in the cultural zeitgeist. Yeah. You have to. Why do you think that you and Tommy Dreamer worked so well as each other's nemesis? Because, because he's willing to do anything creatively. He wants, and he's willing to, he wants to die in the ring. You know I mean? That would be the ultimate way for him to go, you know? Um, like, seriously, like if he ever got cancer, I'm sure he'd find a way to die in the ring instead of having dying from cancer, you know? Um, and I'm sure I'd be the one to, to, to murder him, you know, although it'd be a mercy killing, I'd be convorking him, him, convorking him, not a, it wouldn't be murder per se, it'd be like manslaughter at best. Right. But, um, no, we just hit it off. We just, you know, we were both, you know, we were both at the right points in our career and, uh, and we just, we just clicked, we just clicked as people. You know, and and I love how long the rivalry goes for. You still know, going. I even looking at your impact to Hall of Fame induction, he goes for the goes in for the hug, and you just you know not yeah. gonna do that. No way. Worst DDT I worst TV DDT I ever gave because uh, I just had my knees replaced, oh. and uh, it was terrible, terrible DDT. And it was on the steel um, platform, Oof. but uh, it, it wasn't the pain. There was no pain really, and it just. I couldn't, I couldn't, it was also like in jeans, I couldn't bend and move and drop. And, uh, but it didn't matter. The point was made. You mentioned before, you know, maybe when you were younger, you know, being in the best position to be a booker, you know, you obviously have always had the mind for the business. And I obviously, I still make a great booker. I'm just saying my knowledge, I would just have to find, I would want someone who I also knew the pop culture medium. Uh, better than me along for the ride. What would it's hard to say without knowing what the talent would be, but what would a Raven booked promotion look like? Um, it wouldn't, it would depend on who the talent are. You know, you yeah. have to play to your talent strengths and you just, and you hide their weaknesses. I mean, it's, 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 it's very complex. It's a very simple business at heart, but it's very complex to get it right. Yeah. But it's really very simple. You mentioned uh, what kind of things in, uh, Art, pop culture, literature, music, movies inspired you creatively as you were as you were creating. It all depends. I mean, it depends. Like, 
when, you know, like when I was watching the Yellow Submarine one night and, and they had these villains, the Blue Meanies, and I was like, God, it's perfect for, uh, for Brian, you know, make him into a Blue Meanie, you know, make him insane and dye his hair blue and wear the, the, the whole look. Um, it just all depends. I mean, anything can inspire you, me, inspire you, inspire anybody, you know, it just it depends on the moment. One thing I, people might not always look at this when they look back at your career, but I liked your pursuit of the NWA title when you first came into TNA, chasing Jeff Jarrett in the early days of NWA TNA. I thought that rivalry really kind of put them on the map. And uh, in that time period, you were sort of helping legitimize a lot of companies, including MLW and uh, a little bit in Ring of Honor with your uh, rivalry with CM Punk, too. Uh, when you look back at that uh, the time you had with Jarrett, what, what kind of stands out to you about that, uh, about that run in TNA? I hated the drive to Nashville because it's it's like a three and a half hour drive from Atlanta, you know. So it's like too close to fly, but it's too it's a pain in the ass to drive. Oh, I hated that drive every Wednesday, and it, it, the worst part was the drive back. You know, you're exhausted after a whole you know after an all day filming, and then you're like, uh, oh. you know, I had to get up at seven in the morning to get there in time, and then you had to you know. So that's my least favorite memory from my favorite memory is that I got to go out of the business in a full time on a regular TV show more like I wanted to. Like, you know, the last thing I did in WWE was garbage. You know, I wasn't used right at all. And uh, so I so the fact that I got to end my, you know, end my uh, TV days, my national worldwide TV days, um, Doing being um, being doing the show. I'm doing the show. I want to doing showing what I wanted to show and being what I wanted to be and doing what I wanted to do as opposed to just being a you know an enhancement guy, a glorified enhancement guy. Yeah. I will say on your WWE stuff, I, I kind of uh, was interested to seeing where the seven deadly sins thing would have landed ultimately. Uh, that's one of the greatest, that's the greatest storyline I ever wrote. It's, it's amazing. It's, um, but uh, you know, maybe someday I'll be booking somewhere and I'll do it with, and have somebody else do it, you know? Yeah. I also thought you were good on commentary in that time period too. For as many ways that they weren't using you, you always kind of find your way into some niche that you're good at. I feel like everywhere you are, when you look back, even two people today telling them I was interviewing you, they mentioned the name Johnny Polo right off the bat. I was like, you remember that part of his character, <laughs> you know, so vividly still 30. You just have to be later. good. You know, you yeah. have to be, you have to want it. You have to, you have to be creative. Um, and you have to understand the business. You know, it's not all about you, even though it is all about you. You know, so you have to it's like when I when I did my angles in WCW, I always made sure that they were when I when I pushed when I asked to do them, I always make sure they were with people on my level. I never you know, everybody wants to be well, make me the world champions. First thing anybody would say to, you know, if they if you have your choice of what you want to do, I'll make myself the world champion. Well, that's the last thing I'd make myself be. You know what I mean? I'd, I'd find somebody I'd, I'd work at my own level, not my skill level, but my card, my perceived position on the card level, you know, so that way you can get approval for whatever you need. Like, that's why I work with Canyon and stuff, because, um, you know, in Saturn and all the all those angles and uh, DDP, because we were all at a certain level 
And so it wasn't hard to get approval. You didn't have to say, well, we need to beat the, we need to beat, you know, Nash or we need to beat Hall, you know, and, you know, or, and all those guys are already booked up in, you know, in big, in big angles, you know? And so you just basically asking to be put in a, in a, in a higher level on the card than you are is always going to be a no. I mean, it's yeah. so rare that guys get lifted up off, you know, from the middle to the top, you know, it's more, uh, you know, it's more they're found by like Goldberg. He was just found and it just, you know, like he didn't have to ask. He, they just they pushed. They they did him like that. You know what I mean? And why wouldn't they? You know, why should you should, right. you know, but for the for most people, you know, for guys six foot, you know, 240, you know, 230, 235 at the time, probably, you know, smaller guy, you know, now now I'm, a you know, probably a larger guy, you know what I mean? But I, then I was a smaller guy, um, you know, um, it, you, and there was guys that were established as top guys, you know, that it's so hard, you know, once you're established as a top guy, it's very hard to get knocked off the pillar. And those guys don't want to come down a level, you know, and they don't want to put you or bring you up to them, you know, for the most part, you know, because they want to protect their own spot. So, Right. You know, you got to make do with the, in the sandbox you're in. And I was always good at that. I was like, fine, I'll just I'll get over in my own sandbox. I'll have yeah. my sandbox off to the side. You know, if I'm not in an ECW where I am going to be the top guy. And it's all still memorable, too, because, I, you know, bouncing the stuff off of fans that I talked to and, I, you know, mentioning you and immediately the win over DDP for the U.S. title comes up and the match with Goldberg on Nitro comes up immediately. And it's like, well, you remembered everything that he did. So well, yeah, that's you can always, you, I could have made Goldberg look bad, but that would have got me heat with the company. A, <laughs> B, that doesn't do anybody any favors. C, it's not Goldberg's fault. Right. You know, it's not his fault. He didn't, you know. He, and and how do you how do you begrudge him? You, know, you can't begrudge him for taking for having a spot. What are you what's you gonna turn it down? Right. So no, I'm gonna I'm gonna make him look as good as I fucking possibly can. And in the in the in the process, I'm gonna make myself get over, you know? Because I know how to get over by defensive defensively, by selling. All right. We're going to move on to something we call the three count now. It's gonna be three uh, relatively quick questions and, and your answers. So the first one. What's it like to write an issue of Spider-Man, and and how did that uh, how did that come about? Um, I'm good friends with Brian. I, I was uh, I'm friends with a lot of comic book uh, people, or at least I used to be back when I was reading comics. But I stopped reading them about ten years ago, uh, twelve years ago. Um, the um, just got too expensive as a hobby, and and uh, it just got ridiculous. I got thirty thousand comics in my basement. You know? Wow. Well, no, the half of them are in my basement. The other half's in storage, you know, just taking up space. Um, but uh, but I'm good friends with Brian Azzarello, who's a comic book writer, and he was writing a, a wrestling issue of Spider-Man about uh, the uh, the Spider-Man has a, has a famously has a match in his early in his career. Um, and so he wanted me to co-write it with him, you know. And uh, that's how Marvel asked me to. The only reason I didn't do more was because when I when I wrote it, WWE said I could go, I could write it as you see. I own the trademark Raven, but mm-hmm. when you work for a company like that, you lease them. You you don't. And I, I guess lease is the wrong word because you don't get paid. Yeah, I get, well, you are getting paid, so I guess you lease them your trademark for the time that you're there, and then it reverts back to you when you leave. So while I was there, they said you can use the Raven name, you know. 
And then, then when it was about to come out, they said, no, you can't. We won't because we have a deal with Chaos Comics or something. And so we can't let you use Raven. I think that was just a screw job on me. But anyway, so they had, so Marvel's like, well, we don't want Scott Levy to write comics. You know, we want Raven to write comics, you know. So, yeah. you know, and I could have gone back afterwards and wrote comics. But I just, you know, it was, it was a thing at the time. It was an interest at the time. But then I'm just too lazy to write them, to be honest. Find it fascinating. So your your thing was about the origin of Crusher Hogan. Of yeah. I was thinking about that. Is that Hulk Hogan, who was basically ended up becoming the biggest star in the industry, basically had two Marvel trademarks as his name. Yeah, <laughs> he had Crusher Hogan and he had the Incredible Hulk, which that, that was a thing with yeah. WWE and Marvel for a long time too. Um, second uh, three three count question: What was your favorite thing about working with Gorilla Monsoon? He's just a just a, gen- a genial. Uh, generally nice guy, you know what I mean? Just very kind man, very sweet guy. You know, you can't have enough platitudes about him. Guy's just a great guy, you know, and he's funny and he's fun to be around, you know. Good for somebody uh, young in the business to learn from too at that time? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's why I called him Uncle Gorilla, you know. Mm-hmm. It's like a, he's like a big cuddly uncle. Who's actually is so a total badass, you know? <laughs> it's like a college uh, Olympic uh, finalist uh, for the he was the Olympic trials, one one pin away from making the uh, I think it was the 1958 Olympics or something like that. So uh, uh, very good. And then the last question came uh, courtesy of a a pro wrestler who's a huge ECW fan by the name of Hale Collins. He wanted to know what you do differently with your DDT than other wrestlers. When I do it, when I do it right, when I'm not being lazy, um, I immediately kick my legs straight up. So there's a 90 degree angle from where my my waist and my legs are. And I drop as, as suddenly as I can. And I kind of cheat that by 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 um, kicking my legs out. But I'm already dropping as I'm kicking my legs out. Like I've already dropped as I'm kicking my legs out. And uh, and then and the legs going from from standing like this to straight to automatically. It's like when you pop and lock, you know, you got to go. Hang on, where's, how do I get that in there? You know, yep. You know, you have to do one joint at a time. And so but it's the snap of the joint. It's the it's the way you you bend the joint, not bend it, but the way it makes it appear bent. But it's the suddenness of it appearing bent that gives you illusion of popping and locking, and uh, and it's the same with DDT. You know, when you kick your legs up, they go from they go from standing to exactly 180 degrees differently, and the suddenness of it is what makes it look so good. Very interesting. Thank you so much for answering that, um, Raven. Thank you so much for joining me today on uh, Under the Ring Pro Wrestling Conversations. It's it's really an honor to have you. And uh, you could be on MLW with the Battle Riot coming up in Philadelphia. And uh, all the best to you and MLW and everything you're going to be doing. Thanks. All right. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks again, everyone, for joining me this week on Under the Ring Pro Wrestling Conversations. I'd like to thank Raven for joining me today. I'd also like to thank Sean Graven for setting this up. Keep an eye on Twitter, whether I am verified or not, at Under the Ring for the latest guest reveals. And join us back here next week for another edition of Under the Ring Pro Wrestling Conversations. Mm-hmm.